0: Chapter Eight of Mosby's Memoirs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mosby's Memoirs by Colonel John Singleton Mosby, Chapter Eight, Campaigning with Stuart. The last time I went on picket was the, on the 12th of February, 1862. By this time Stuart had been made a brigadier-general, and Jones was colonel of the regiment. The road from our camp to the outpost passed through Centerville, where General Joe Johnston and Stuart had their headquarters. On that February day Stuart joined us, and I observed that an empty carriage was following, though I did not understand the reason. When we arrived at Fairfax Court House, Stewart asked captain blackford to detail a man to go in the carriage with some ladies there was a fine family in the place who always gave me my breakfast when i was on picket and as one of the ladies in the party was a member of the family i was detailed to go as an escort several miles inside our lines they did not like being on the picket line where there were frequent skirmishes so i left my horse for my messmate found beatty to bring back to camp the next day and took my seat in the carriage with the ladies it was a raw cold morning and it soon began to snow we arrived at our journey's end in the evening and i then started for stewart's headquarters when i reached there it was dark and the snow was still falling although i had been in stewart's regiment from the beginning of the war i had no acquaintance with him and no reason to suppose that he had ever heard of me So I went into the house, reported to him that I had left the ladies at their destination, and asked him for a pass, as my camp on the Bull Run was several miles away. The Sentinels would not let me go back without one. Now the weather would not have been any more severe on me if I had walked back to camp that night than if I had stayed on picket. I never dreamed of Stuart's inviting me to spend the night at headquarters, or that I should ever rise to intimacy with him. THERE COULD HAVE BEEN NOTHING prepossessing IN MY GENERAL APPEARANCE TO INDUCE HIM TO MAKE AN EXCEPTION OF ME, FOR I WAS AS ROUGHLY DRESSED AS ANY COMMON SOLDIER. BUT HE TOLD ME THE WEATHER WAS TOO BAD AND TO STAY THERE THAT NIGHT. OF COURSE I OBEYED, TOOK MY SEAT BEFORE A BIG BLAZING FIRE. BOTH OF THE GENERALS WERE SITTING THERE, BUT I FELT SO SMALL IN THEIR PRESENCE THAT I LOOKED STRAIGHT INTO THE FIRE, AND NEVER DARED TO RAISE MY HEAD. I would have felt far more comfortable trudging back to camp through the snow. Presently a boy announced that supper was ready. The generals arose, and, as Stuart walked into the supper-room, he told me to come in and get some supper. I was astonished, and kept my seat. Stuart observed my absence from the table and sent for me. So I obeyed, went in, and took a seat with the generals. I do not think I raised my eyes from my plate, although they chatted freely. When it was time to go to sleep, Stuart had some blankets spread on the floor, and I was soon snoring. The same thing happened in the morning. A boy announced breakfast. Stuart told me to come in, and I again stayed behind, and he had to send for me. It has always been a mystery to me why Stuart made me his guest that night, and did not put me with his couriers which would have been more agreeable to me. After breakfast Stuart sent me, mounted, to my camp, with a courier to bring back the horse I rode. So here began my friendship for Stuart, which lasted as long as he lived. It is a coincidence that it began on the very day I received my first promotion. I had scarcely reached our camp when a message came from the commander of the regiment, Colonel Jones, to come to his tent. I went, and he offered me the position of adjutant. I was as much astonished as I had been the night before to be asked to sit at the table with the generals. Of course I was glad to accept it, and Jones wrote to the War Department requesting my appointment. The Journal of the Confederate Senate shows that I was confirmed to take rank from February seventeenth, 1862. I have always had repugnance to ceremonials, and was not half so much frightened in the Battle of Bull Run as I was on the first dress parade I conducted on such occasions the adjutant is the most conspicuous figure i never could repeat the formulas of the regulations and for this reason i remember the few weeks i served as an adjutant with less satisfaction than any other portion of my life as a soldier undated fragment of a letter to mrs mosby we are suffering the most intense anxiety to hear the final result from if we are defeated there it will prolong the war i fear but the idea of giving up or abandoning the field now should never enter a Southern man's head to be sure there must be a costly sacrifice of our best blood but the coward dies a thousand deaths the brave man dies but one end of letter when news came to richmond that grant's attack on fort donelson had been repulsed Confederate hopes of final success were raised to a high pitch, but they sank to zero the next day, when a dispatch came announcing the fall of Donelson and the surrender of most of the garrison. Kentucky was now lost to us, and most of Middle Tennessee. A greater blunder was never committed in war than when General Albert Sidney Johnston sent Floyd, Buckner, and Pillow down the Cumberland River, with about 17,000 troops, to hold a fort situated in the angle made by the confluence of the Cumberland and a deep unfordable creek. There was no line of retreat open by land, and no transportation provided for escape by water in case of defeat. The Confederates were caught in a trap, and their surrender was, of course, inevitable. The first attacks of the gunboats under Commodore Foote were repulsed and in the evening the situation was about the same as it had been in the morning. But Buckner and Pillow seemed to think that their men would not fight any longer, although they had an abundance of rations, and Floyd swore that he would not surrender either himself or his brigade. Floyd was the senior officer, and it was agreed that he should turn over the command to Pillow, who was next in rank, and that he in turn should turn it over to Buckner. Floyd, with his brigade, escaped at night on two steamboats that happened to come down with supplies from Nashville that evening. Pillow, in some way, got to the opposite bank of the river, and left his troops behind him. It has never been explained why a few boats were not on hand to set the Confederates over the river, when resistance became hopeless, or why the two which Floyd took were not used during the night to convey the army to the other bank. At daybreak Buckner ordered a parley to be sounded— and capitulated to Grant without conditions. He did not even get as good terms as General Lee got for the fragment of his army at Appomattox. Mr. Davis relieved both Floyd and Pillow of command, but with strange inconsistency he praised General Johnston for putting them in a hole where they fought for two days to get out. The affair of Donelson was a most discreditable thing to our side of the war. CAMP OF FIRST CAVALRY March first, 1, 1862. Dear Pauline, Nobody here is the least discouraged at our late reverses. That they will prolong the war, I have no doubt. But they have not made the first step towards subjugation. Nothing can reverse my own decision to stay in the foremost ranks, where life is lost or freedom won. I want to see in Southern women some of that Spartan heroism of the mother who said to her son, when she buckled on his armour, return with your shield or return upon it our army is now falling back from centerville but whether to manassas or gordonsville i don't know we haven't moved our camp end of letter when johnston retired from centerville in the spring of 1862 our regiment was the rear guard of the army johnston fell back leisurely first to the Rappahannock, and then to the rapidan where he waited for mcclellan to develop his campaign In December, 1864, I had dinner with General Lee at his headquarters near Petersburg, and he told me that Johnston should never have moved from the Rapidan to Richmond, that when it was discovered that McClellan was moving down the Potomac, he wrote Johnston, and urged him to move back against Washington. Lee was confident that such a menace of the capital would recall McClellan to defend it a considerable union force followed our regiment as we withdrew along the railroad and when it got near our picket line on cedar run it deployed in an open field and made a great display jones was on the picket line that day and i was with him and witnessed the exhibition the pickets withdrew and the enemy occupied the ground on which we had been for several days that night my regiment camped near bealton station The next morning I rode there and met Stuart. The enemy was already in sight and advancing. I had become pretty well acquainted with Stuart after I became an adjutant, and had already conducted several scouting expeditions for him. As we met that morning he said to me very earnestly, and he seemed puzzled, "'General Johnston wants to know if McClellan's army is following us, or if this is only a feint he is making.' evidently stuart wanted me to find out for him but did not like to order me i saw the opportunity for which i had longed and said in a self-confident tone i will find out for you if you will give me a guide he gave me one who knew the road and with two others of my party i started around the flank of the hostile column and got in its rear while it was advancing to the rappahannock as the enemy moved south and we went north my party was in its rear when the Union column reached the Rappahannock and began shelling the Confederates who had just crossed. As we were behind the enemy, we soon discovered that an isolated body was following Johnston, and that it kept up no line of communication with Washington. It was clear that the movement was a mask, to create a diversion and cover some operation. Of course I was proud to have made the discovery, and I rode nearly all night to report it to Stuart. When we got near the river we halted at a farmhouse, for there was danger of being shot by our own pickets if we attempted to cross the river in the dark. As soon as it was daylight I started, leaving my companions asleep. A picket halted me when I got halfway across the river, and it was with great difficulty that I could persuade him not to fire." At last I made him ashamed of himself when I told him I was only one man and asked him if he was afraid of one Yankee. He told me to come on, but he kept his gun leveled at me. I went on at a gallop and found Stuart with General Ewell, whose division was in line of battle, expecting the enemy to attempt to cross the river. A heavy fog concealed their backward movement. I told Stuart that there was no support behind the force in front, and that it was falling back. A curtain of cavalry had been left behind to cover the retreat. Our cavalry was immediately ordered in pursuit, and I went with it. In the rapture of the moment, Stuart told me I could get any reward I wanted. His report confirms this statement about the information that was obtained, but I got no reward. Culpeper County, April 1st, 1862 My dearest Pauline, although i do not belong to that company blackford's being on the regimental staff i went with them into the fight the appearance of the enemy when they crossed cedar run was the most magnificent sight i ever beheld we let them the advance guard of cavalry cross when dismounting we delivered a volley with our carbines which sent them back across the deep stream in the wildest confusion one fellow was thrown into the water over his head and scrambling out ran off and left his horse another horse fell rose and fell again burying his rider with him under the water we ceased firing threw up our caps and indulged in the most boisterous laughter colonel jones speaks of some service i have recently rendered at one time with four men i passed around got to the rear of the enemy discovered that they were making a faint movement on the railroad while they were really moving in another direction i rode nearly all night to give the information which resulted in general Stuart's ordering our regiment in pursuit and the capture of about thirty prisoners sixteen horses arms etc general Stuart was so much pleased with my conduct that he wrote a report to general johnston commending me very highly and also recommending my promotion when our regiment got to the vicinity of yorktown it was reorganized and fitz lee who had been a lieutenant colonel was elected colonel Stewart invited me to come to his headquarters and act as a scout i got no commission and stayed with his couriers in this ambiguous condition i remained for a year or until i took up my independent command april twenty-fifth, 1862 my dearest pauline our regiment was reorganized day before yesterday Colonel Fitzhugh Lee was elected over Colonel Jones. Colonel Jones left immediately for Richmond. He expects to be a brigadier general. Immediately after the election I handed in my resignation of my commission. The President had commissioned me for the war, but I would not be adjutant of a colonel against his wishes or if I were not his first choice. General Stewart told me yesterday that he would see that I had a commission. Richmond. June two, eighteen sixty-two. My dearest Pauline, the papers will give you about as much as I know of the fight, the Battle of Fair Oaks or Seven Pines. I went down over the battlefield yesterday. Our men were all among the enemy's tents, which were still standing. Their camp kettles on the fire, etc. We whipped them in their fortifications. General Lee is now in command. General Johnston being wounded. There is so much confusion in Richmond that I do not know whether I can get your memorandum filled today. is nothing like a panic, everybody being engaged in preparing to take care of the wounded." In June, 1862, McClellan was a straddle of the Chickahominy. His right rested on the Pamunkey, but there was a gap of several miles between his left and the James. The two armies were so close to each other that the cavalry was of little use and it was therefore kept in the rear one morning i was at breakfast with stuart and he said that he wanted to find out if mcclellan was fortifying on the totapotomy a creek that empties into the pamunkey i was glad to go for him and started off with three men but we found a flag of truce on the road and turned off to scout in another direction i did not want to go back without doing something we did not get the information for which we were sent But we did get intelligence of even more value we penetrated mcclellan's lines and discovered that for several miles his right flank had only cavalry pickets to guard his line of communication with his depot at the white house on the pamunkey here it seemed to me was an opportunity to strike a blow mcclellan had not anticipated any such move and had made no provision against it on discovering the conditions i hastened back to Stuart and found him sitting in the front yard it was a hot day i was tired and lay down on the grass to tell him what i had learned a martinet would have ordered me to stand in his presence he listened to my story and when i had finished told me to go to the adjutant's office and write it down at the same time he ordered a courier to get ready to go with him to general lee's headquarters I DID AS HE REQUESTED, AND BROUGHT HIM A SHEET OF PAPER WITH WHAT I HAD WRITTEN. AFTER READING IT, Stuart CALLED MY ATTENTION TO ITS NOT BEING SIGNED. I SIGNED IT, THOUGH I HAD THOUGHT HE ONLY WANTED A MEMORANDUM OF WHAT I HAD SAID. GENERAL LEE HAD NEVER HEARD OF ME. Stuart TOOK THE PAPER AND WENT OFF WITH A COURIER, AT A GALLOP. AS SOON AS HE RETURNED ORDERS WERE ISSUED TO THE CAVALRY TO BE READY. General Lee's instructions authorizing the expedition were dated June eleventh. I had reported the day before. On the morning of the twelfth, with twelve hundred cavalry and two pieces of artillery, Stuart passed through Richmond and took the road towards Ashland. I was at headquarters when Stuart was leaving. The officer in charge asked him when he would be back. His answer was, It may be for years, it may be forever. His spirits were buoyant. The column moved on to Old Church, in Hanover, where two squadrons of U.S. regular cavalry were stationed under the command of Captain Royal. When the pickets were chased in, Royal heard the firing and went to their support. He had no cause to suspect the numbers he was meeting, for McClellan had never even considered the possibility of a force breaking through his lines and passing around him. A squadron of the Ninth Virginia Cavalry led our column captain latinay was in command a charge was ordered and in the combat royal was wounded and routed and latinay was killed we could not stay to give him even a hasty burial our forces soon had possession of the abandoned camp and as the enemy had had no time to pack up there was a festival we were now on the flank of the enemy but nine miles from the railroad which was his line of communication The question which Stuart had to determine was whether to go on or turn back. We were near the Pamunkey, and if we kept on the road would soon be closed behind us. The only way of return would then be to pass around McClellan. I felt great anxiety for fear that Stuart would halt, for I realized that there was a chance for him to do something that had never been done. His decision to go on showed that he possessed true military genius just before stuart gave the order for us to move he turned to me and said i want you to go on some distance ahead very well said i but give me a guide two soldiers who knew the roads were ordered to go with me i was proud to be selected for such a duty and was full of enthusiasm we had not gone far before stuart sent one of his staff to tell me to go faster and increase the distance between us as we jogged along two miles in advance of the column we came upon a sutler's wagon it was filled with so many tempting things which we had not seen for nearly two years that we felt as if the blockade had been raised we exercised the belligerent right of search at the same time i could see about a mile away in the pamunkey river a forest of masts of schooners which were unloading supplies into a train of wagons ready to carry them to the army so I sent one man back to tell Stuart to hurry and capture the prizes and put the other as a guard over the sutler. I then went on alone. When Stuart came up, he sent a squadron to burn the schooners and the wagon train. Capturing watercraft was a novel experiment in cavalry tactics. At a bend in the road I came upon a vedette and a sutler's wagon. They submitted quietly. Just then a bugle sounded, and I saw a body of cavalry a few hundred yards away. Fugitives from the camp we had captured had given the alarm, and the second troop was getting ready to leave. As soon as the head of our column appeared, the enemy's force at once disappeared. A Confederate newspaper described my part as follows. Approaching the public interest in the recital of everything connected with the recent exploit of General Stuart's cavalry, in his reconnaissance through the enemy's lines, we have gathered, from reliable participants in the affair, these additional particulars. After destroying the enemy's camp near the old church, Lieutenant John S. Mosby, aide to General Stuart and who had been most daring and successful as a scout, was sent on in advance, with a single guide, towards Tunstall Station, to reconnoitre and ascertain the position and force of the enemy. On his way he met two Yankees whom he took prisoners, and sent to the rear in charge of his guide. Alone he pushed on and overtook a cavalryman and an artilleryman of the enemy's forces, having in charge a quartermaster's wagon and stores. Lieutenant Mosby dashed up, and, drawing his pistols, demanded their surrender. The New Yorker surrendered at once, but the Pennsylvanian, beginning to fumble for his pistol, the lieutenant made a more emphatic demand for his surrender— and at the same moment compelled him to look quite closely into the muzzle of his pistol. All this time there were drawn up, not four hundred yards distant, a company of Yankee cavalry in line of battle. In a moment a bugle sounded as for a movement on him, when, anxious to secure his prisoners and stores, Lieutenant Mosby put spurs and galloped across the field, at the same time shouting to his imaginary men to follow him when none of the Confederate cavalry were in sight and the swiftest more than a mile in the rear. The cavalries hearing the word of command and apprehending the descent of an avalanche of Confederate cavalry upon them, broke line, each man galloping off to take care of himself. The wagon, prisoners, and stores were then secured, and among them were found forty splendid Colt's pistols with holsters, besides boots, shoes, blankets, etc., etc. About sundown, we reached the York River Railroad, and the column still went on. The only way to get back to Richmond was now to recross the Chickahominy near its mouth and pass my McClellan's left flank. As some evidence of the consternation that prevailed among the Union troops, I remember that, after we left the camp, a sergeant and twenty-five men of the regular cavalry followed on under a flag of truce and surrendered to the rear guard that night was a feast for stuart's cavalry on all the roads were burning trains with supplies and sutler's goods champagne and rhine wine flowed copiously a force was sent in pursuit of us under the command of general st george cook stuart's father-in-law although the march of our column was slow we never saw an armed foe after we left royals camp except a small guard at the railroad general Warren. Who commanded a brigade behind us said it was impossible for the infantry to overtake him and as the cavalry did not move without us it was impossible for them to overtake him fitz john porter regretted that when general cook did pursue he should have tied his legs with the infantry command as there were six cavalry regiments including all the regulars with a battery on our track it is hard to see why they wanted infantry Although more than forty-eight hours elapsed between the time when we passed McClellan's right flank and back around his left, he made no attempt to intercept us. In making the circuit of his army, the Confederate column was at all times within five or six miles of his headquarters, with two navigable rivers enclosing it, and another river over which we had to build a bridge in order to cross. McClellan was a soldier of great organizing ability and trained in the science of war—I mean in those operations that can be regulated by rules. But he had none of the inspiration that decides and acts instantly, and he was now confronted by a condition without a precedent, so he was helpless. About daylight we reached a ford of the Chickahominy, a narrow, crooked stream which meanders between the Pamunkey and the James. We had crossed it on the morning before. Stuart had expected to be able to ford this stream, but at this point it was overflowing. A guide told us of a bridge a mile below, or where one had been, so the column was headed for that point. When we got there we found that the bridge was gone, although the piles were standing. Nearby were the remains of an old warehouse, which furnished material for building another. It was soon constructed. It seemed to rise out of the water by magic. It may not have been so good a bridge as Caesar might throw over the Rhine, but it answered our purpose. While the bridge was building, Stuart showed no anxiety, and was in as gay a humour as ever I saw him. During the night I had provided for our commissary department a lot of stores from the sutler's wagons, and these were soon spread about on the grass. We had not been disturbed on the night march, but just as the bridge was finished, a body of lancers came in sight and halted. They had captured one of our men, a German, whom we had to leave behind, as he was too full of Rhine wine to travel. When we reached Westover, the command was halted to rest and get forage, for we knew that the road to Richmond was open. Stuart now left Fitz Lee in command and rode on to report to General Lee. The column moved on by moonlight and at daybreak was in sight of Richmond. The game was won i had ridden several miles ahead of the column and met stewart returning of course he was delighted to hear that the cavalry was safe to excuse himself for what he had not done mcclellan in a dispatch tried to belittle this affair by saying that stewart's cavalry did nothing but gain a little eclat. but it can be said with more truth that he himself lost a good deal it was the first blow at his reputation the comte de paris one of McClellan's staff officers said with more truth. They had, in point of fact, created a great commotion, shaken the confidence of the North in McClellan, and made the first experiment in those great cavalry expeditions which subsequently played so novel and important a part during the war. Richmond, Monday, June 16, 1862. My dearest Pauline, i have just received your letter this morning i returned yesterday with general Stuart from the grandest scout of the war i not only helped to execute it but was the first one who conceived and demonstrated that it was practicable i took four men several days ago and went down among the yankees and found out how it could be done the yankees gave us a chase but we escaped i reported to general Stuart, suggested his going down he approved Asked me to give him a written statement of the facts, and went immediately to see General Lee, who also approved it. We were out nearly four days, rode continuously four days and nights, found among the Yankee camps and sutler's stores every luxury of which you ever conceived. I had no way of bringing off anything. General Stuart gave me the horses and equipments I captured. What little I brought off is worth at least three hundred and fifty dollars stuart does not want me to go with floyd told me before this affair that i should have a commission on returning yesterday he told me that i would have no difficulty in doing so now i met wyndham robertson on the street today he congratulated me on the success of the exploit and said i was the hero and that he intended to write an account of it for the papers made me promise to dine with him today i send you some captured things The carpet was in an officer's tent. There is no prospect of a battle here. Heavy reinforcements have been going to Jackson. I got two splendid army pistols. Stewart's name is in everyone's mouth now. I was in both cavalry charges. They were magnificent. I have been staying with General Stewart at his headquarters. The whole heavens were illuminated by the flames of the burning wagons, etc., of the Yankees, a good many ludicrous scenes i will narrate when i get home richmond in fine spirits everybody says it is the greatest feat of the war i never enjoyed myself so much in my life headquarters cavalry brigade june 20 1862 honorable george w randolph secretary of war general permit me to present to you john s mosby who for months past has rendered time and again services of the most important and valuable nature, exposing himself regardless of danger, and, in my estimation, fairly won promotion. I am anxious that he should get the captaincy of a company of sharpshooters in my brigade, but the muster-rolls have not yet been sent in. I commend him to your notice. Most respectfully, General, your obedient servant, J.E.B. Stewart, Brigadier General Commanding Cavalry. End of chapter